0: Thank you so much for joining us here at Word Baptist Church. I'm Jamar Andrews, I'm the lead pastor, and I get the great privilege of shepherding here. I'm excited that you're joining us today for this sermon. You're about to receive text-driven preaching. My prayer is that God speaks to you through this time as you listen to this message. So enjoy and God bless. We focused in on some very important things as we looked at God and government. And so in locking in on God and government last week, uh, we've established the fact that uh, God is the one who has given us this institution. Uh, he gives us individuality, He gives us uh, the family, He gives us the church, but also government. And we saw from that passage that the government's role is to make sure that it is restraining evil and rewarding the good. And then we had an opportunity to be able to look and see what our role is. What's our role uh, in government? How do we function? How do we as believers, how do we operate? And we saw uh, six major things from the passage. Uh, The first is that we are to support the government. The second is that we are to uh, respect the offices that are represented. The third is that we are to honor. Uh, we actually, whenever the government does something good, we, we, we give honor to whom honor is due. But then we also saw that we are to, to love and that our lifestyle and the way in which we live is very important. And we talked about three major things that we can do as believers. And the first was that we can pray for our government and those who are in leadership. We said we could preach to those who are in leadership and in government because it doesn't always get it right. The leaders in government, they don't always get it right. And so we can preach to them. And the last thing we saw in that movement was that we could also be involved, that we can vote. The type of uh, structure that we are in, system of government we are in, we have an opportunity to exercise our own individual voice and collectively. But you can also participate. You can participate in the process. And then we looked at the last thing. What should our life's focus be? And in that last movement, the Apostle Paul in Romans 13, he laid out for us the fact that when it comes to our time, we need to wake up. We need to clean up. We need to dress up and we need to grow up. We wake up and recognize the times that we are in that the Lord's return is closer now than it's ever been. We wake up and we recognize what's going on around us. And then we also we clean up, we look at our lives and we uh, seek out the, the areas that don't honor and glorify him. And we look to see those changed and transformed. And then we dress up, we put on the armor of light because we are in a battle and we put on the Lord Jesus Christ. And then we grow up, we, we make no provision for the flesh. So last week we looked at this as a very key understanding in the New Testament about how we are to operate into function. And so today we will be tackling the Lord's standard for living. And so when you think about the dynamics of what's in front of us, the, the title today is that the Lord's standard for living. And so when God, he, when he thinks about nations or when he thinks about peoples, what is important to him? And so today we're going to take a very vivid look at what's important to our Lord. And before we do that, though, I just thought I'd ask a series of questions. The the first question is, is if you were going to establish a nation or a people, what types of things would you say they should do? What types of laws would you tell them to have? What types of things would you say? You know, a lot of times we want to blame the Lord, but, you know, I guarantee you we couldn't put much together better. And so as we think about this, he has laid out for us very clearly his will, what he desires, just by show of hands, my second round, anyone in here uh, likes sports? Anybody in here say, you know what, I love sport. Let me watch a good soccer game, good football. Yeah, I see those hands. I'm learning. We got a few said, no, that's not me. Uh, I'm, I'm learning a game of soccer, and I've had, If y'all have heard, just about every week I talk about this, because I'm telling you, it's one of the highest points of my week is watching these little babies out there running around, having a great time and loving life. But one of the things that you will recognize when you watch children who are five years old, four years old, three years old play soccer is they don't know the rules. And you can tell whenever that ball gets out there, they're picking the ball up and they're laying on top of it and they're rolling it over there. And it's amazing to me. They kick it out of bounds and they keep on kicking it out of bounds. And we had one group that were out of bounds waiting to play and one group was playing and the ball went to them and they kicked it back in. I'm like, that's illegal. All this illegal stuff going on all over the fields. And you know, when you think about life and you think about our nation and country. Uh, If there are not rules or set of rules to abide by, there would be chaos. Just like when you watch a a game, if there's not a set of rules, actually the rules actually help you be able to enjoy the game, to know clearly what is expected and to know uh, how to operate within the bounds. You see, what might fascinate you is that when God, whenever he established freedom for his people, one of the first things he did was he began to give them some boundaries within that freedom. You see, that, that's how we must see things. We must operate and understand that the things that God has laid out for us, the rules that he has enacted for us to follow are not necessarily to stifle or to squelch or to stop the joy and the good things that we can experience, but actually it's to enhance them. It's to provide a framework for us to be able to operate in. And so today we're going to look at that framework. And I'm going to submit to you the 10 minimum things that God is calling us to see and to live out. Now I'm going to say minimum because we all know I'm going to be in the Old Testament because I said Exodus 20 and Jesus, when he came, he was a fulfillment of everything that I'm going to read today and everything that I could read in the Old Testament. And he established a higher way of thinking that had to do with the heart. But I just want to just at its base value, the 10 minimum things. And it'd be amazing if we would just implement these 10 minimum things. It'd be amazing what would happen in the world. But we find that there's a great struggle. You know, as I was thinking about this particular message, I wanted to kind of look at some history of our nation. And it might surprise you that in 1962, uh, it was deemed unconstitutional for there to be prayer in schools. Maybe some of you in here, y'all, you were alive back then whenever you could pray in school and you're alive now when you can't pray. I'm not calling anybody's names out. I'm saying you're a seasoned saint. You've been around. I'm not saying you're old. I've got to clarify that. In 1962, it was deemed unconstitutional prayer in school. In 1963, it might surprise you that uh, the Ten Commandments were not allowed to be uh, posted in schools. In 1963, it was deemed unconstitutional. And whenever you begin to think about schools and communities and what's going on, whenever you take out those things that are Connecting people to God and connecting children to God. It's amazing what now we have had to add back into schools now that we're not there before that moment. And as I think about the push for nations to try to move God out and to try not to come in underneath his rule, let me just tell you, the the closer a people and a nation are to God, the more clearly you will find his activity and his governance and and you will see his activity working. And the further we move away from God, the more chaotic and the more sinful and fallen it shows up. We already sinful and fallen. It just shows up in a greater degree. So as we look to this, we have to recognize that God has established for us the key things in our lives. You know, if you were to think about the Ten Commandments, How many of you feel comfortable that you could rattle off all 10 in order? You see, it's hard to do something that you don't know. It's hard to capitalize and to experience the freedom whenever it's things that you, you, you don't know. You see, I believe that God, when he laid these things out, he had a purpose. And I just want to start with Exodus 19, verse 5 and 6. It'll come on the screen. You don't have to turn there because God was ultimately desiring to have a people. In, in Exodus 19, 5 and 6, it says this. Now, then, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, then you shall be my own possession among all the peoples, for all the earth is mine. Did y'all catch that? How much of the earth is the Lord's? All of it. There are going to be some people that look at me and they say, Jamar, you're going to pick this Old Testament passage. You know, he's making a covenant with Israel. We're not Israel. Why are you bringing this up? Well, can I ask y'all a quick question? How much of the earth is his? All of it. Right. So whenever he lays these things out, do you think that these things would not be good for other nations and other peoples? We're going to look at that here in a minute. Because he has a purpose in mind. Verse six, he says this, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. That that was his goal, that he would have a people set aside, set apart that are living for him in the midst of a whole lot of people that were not so that they could have an influence and an impact. On those who didn't know him, can I just tell you, his mind has not changed. All you have to do is pick up the Bible, 1 Peter. 1 Peter 2.5 will tell you that he is is making us into a kingdom of priests. That's what we are. And so thus we live by a different set of rules. Might I share what those rules are? I'm going to give you 10 things to think about from the word of God, but I'm going to just set them in categories, if that's okay. Y'all don't seem to be too disagreeable this morning. I'm going to set them in 10 categories. The first is we're going to look at relationship. We're going to look at relationship with God. Second, we're going to look at worship. Worship. The third thing we're going to see has to do with respect. Respect. Then we're going to look at time, how and which, how we operate in time. We're going to look at authority. And Life purity, property, the tongue, and lastly, we'll look at contentment. And what I want to do is I want to lay out for us a very clear picture of the difference between human reason and divine revelation. You see, what we all have to ask ourselves is, am I living my life based off of human reason or divine revelation? And you see, I believe today we're going to have an opportunity to hear divine revelation. And you might say, how do you feel so confident about that? Well, let me just read our first movement. We're going to see our responsibilities in relation to the Lord, that when God thinks about our life, he, those 10 things I shared, but we can boil it down really to two, and that's to love God and to love people. And so right out of the gate, right out of the gate in the passage that's before us, I want you to notice what it says in the first movement. How do we know this is divine revelation? Well, look at what it says in Exodus 20, verse one. Then God spoke all these words. That's how we know it's divine revelation it says this. Then God, he spoke all these words saying, I am the Lord, your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourselves an idol or any, uh, of, or any likeness of what is in heaven above or on earth beneath, or in the waters under the earth. You shall not worship them or serve them. for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children. On the third and fourth generations of those who hate me. But showing loving kindness to thousands, to those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord, your God, in vain. For the Lord will not leave him unpunished who takes his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor. And do all your work. Seventh day, is the Sabbath, the Lord, your God. In it, you shall not do any work. You or your sons or your daughters or your male and female servants, cattle, sojourner who stays with you. For in six days, the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them. He rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day, and made it holy. So the first movement that we have here has to deal with our relationship with the Lord. You see, Moses is the human instrument that God is using here. And after having connected with the Lord in the wilderness, the burning bush, going down to Egypt and looking at Pharaoh and saying, you got to let my people go. You know how that went. Pharaoh said, yeah, right. No, that's not what he said. There was a battle that had to go on down in Egypt. Right. And ultimately, the Lord won and he used Moses and Aaron to get it done. And so as they are moving out of this particular place of enslavement, three months journey, as they move around, they get now to the mountain and God has something to say to his people. And it fascinates me what he has to say. Verse one tells us that God is speaking. He's given us divine revelation. Verse two, he says this. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. So now you have a people who have been enslaved and now they are free. And, you know, I bet everybody's skipping and having a good time. thinking we can just do whatever we want to do. But that's not how this works. God is letting them know that there are some things that they are responsible for. And the first thing that he highlights is his relationship with them and their relationship with him. You see, that's the first piece. You see the goal here. If you are just take a notes is that when we think about our role is that we live in a way that respects and enhances others freedoms. And the best way to do that is number one, tap into a relationship with the Lord. That, that's the first piece. Now, as we do this, We see that these things that he lays out are going to be boundaries to restrain evil. You see, the Lord himself, he knew that they were going to need this for their relationship with him, for their relationship with other people and for their own personal well-being. He he knew this. And so the first thing he says is, is there's a way in which you must relate to me. I want us to have an exclusive relationship. Y'all know about that exclusive relationship, you know, whenever you might be dating somebody and y'all ain't made it official just yet. You like, look, I don't want you texting nobody else. I don't want you calling nobody else. That makes sense. So y'all, are like, I'm waiting on that. We're praying for you, too. See, the Lord was very clear. That when it when it comes to the dynamics of how he is going to operate, uh, he has to be first and only. That's the way in which he works. Notice what the text tells us. He says, as you shall have no other gods before me, no other, no, nothing else. So when we look at this, the Lord God alone, that means that there should be no other noun, person, place, or thing that is in the position where the Lord should be. Then when you look at this, he's going to lay out for us some very key things. But let me just tell you, the nation and the people and the person who misses this one should not expect to be successful with the other nine if, if we miss this one it's kind of like when i think about this this real spiritual game y'all know the game jenga anybody here jenga 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 y'all know what i'm talking about after you take the box out and the stack in and you get down at one piece right you move one the whole thing just tear down and fall if you're not careful right so when you think about the dynamics of what God is saying to us as a people, he's saying to us that he has to be first. So the people and the nation that understands that the blessings and the power and the movement that will happen in their life. And so as we think about this, our nation itself, we like to be a nation that say we're a nation of providence. God brought us here and we got his name on things. We're going to get there here in a minute. But we have to be willing to make sure that he is first. You see, because of his, let me just highlight three things, his greatness and his grace and his goodness. We have to recognize that. So if you're taking notes, I just want you to jot something down for me. I want you to jot down Psalm 33, verse 12, and we'll look at it together. Psalm 33:12 12 says this. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. Y'all see that right there? So what will the nation be who has the Lord as their God? What will they be? They're gonna be blessed, right? Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord, the people whom He has chosen for His own inheritance. Meaning, He chooses us. We don't not the other way around, but He moves toward us first, and then we say, "Yeah, we want to be in that relationship." And so, the first piece, the first dynamic that we must recognize is that that God is calling us to to come to Him individually and collectively. And so when you think about our nation, you think about the movement of how we live and operate here and in any other nation. I'm just I believe this promise can be caught blind all across the world. If, if a nation and if a people will lock into the Lord, his word, the God of the Bible, we're going to get real specific here in a minute. You, you will find that God will bless and he will work and he will move. That's the first thing that we must see. Can I just tell you, I want to make sure I'm bringing a lot of hope because I know I'm about to swing some things out. All right. So let me just ask you, anybody in here ever live your life where the Lord wasn't first in your life before? Anybody ever lived that way? Yeah, I see those hands. You see, I got mine up. Let me put it a real hot 20 years. I lived like that. But can I ask you a question? Did the Lord work in your life in such a way that now you you love him and you put him first? Yeah. So if you're watching, if you're listening, you, you might be in a position where you think about your relationship with the Lord and you hadn't put him first. But let me just tell you, Jesus can transform that. My, since we in here, I'm gonna need a little help. Can, can we say on three, Jesus would transform that on three? One, two, three. Jesus will transform that. Yeah, as we go down through all these 10, there might be somebody in here that might think, you know, what this Bible talking about me and I don't think God can do it. So we're just gonna let everybody know who is in here and who is watching. Jesus, he can, he can transform that. And so we think about this, whether it's individually or collectively, he is calling for us to make sure that we are in an exclusive relationship. He don't want to be on the side. He don't want to be the side, the side relationship. He wants to be the primary spot for a people and for a nation. That's the first thing we see has to do a relationship. What about the second movement? Look what it says in. Verse four. Verse four says this, you shall not make for yourselves an idol or any likeness of what is in heaven above or on earth beneath or in the waters under the earth. You shall not worship them or serve them for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God visiting notices the iniquity of the fathers on the children on, on the third and fourth generation for those who hate me, but showing loving kindness to thousands to those who love me, And keep my commandments. So, the second movement that we need to see is not just the relationship number one, but worship number two. That when you think about our movement as individuals and as a nation under God, worship is vitally important. Now I'm gonna just tell you, I'm thankful that in America you, we have the freedom of worship, freedom of expression, meaning if you have all different backgrounds and beliefs, you can come to this nation and you can you have the free exercise to be able to do that. The reason why you might say, you mean Jamar, you Muslims and Hindus and oh Witnesses, all the Mormons, all these people, you, you glad they hit that here? Yep, you better believe. Why am I glad? Because I know we got the truth. You see, when you line it up right beside it, we just hang with the truth. We just continue. I'm not intimidated. We should not be afraid because we got the truth. And we should live our lives in such a way where we invite them to come to the truth. And so when you think about worship, what God is saying is not only does he want an exclusive relationship with you, but he also cares about the way in which you worship him. It matters. It matters how a people, or how a nation worship him. You see, outside of a personal relationship with the Lord through Jesus Christ, every other form of religion is actually idolatry. I know somebody probably going to get mad at me, but I just might as well tell the truth of, of, while I'm at it. And idolatry, ultimately, at the end of the day, really what it comes down to, it is about self-worship. It's about me doing doing something or making something. The work of my own hands is about me. That's the difference. Whenever you surrender to Christ, it's about him. You have to be willing to humble yourself to come before him. And so as we look at this, how, how in the world does this matter? Why would God say this? Because he knows that the most influential thing in your life is what you worship. It's what you worship. So whenever that's an idol, it's going to influence you. It's going to have a a, a way in which it operates. I know a lot of times we think about like the statues and all that stuff, but that's not the only type of idols. Relationships, people in terms of you trying to get something out of them, things, all of that. And what does it do? What do those things do in our life when we give them a a place in our life where they don't deserve? Look with me in in Psalm 135, verse 15 through 18. Y'all want to hear about what happens? Psalm 135, verse 15 through 18 says this. The idols of the nations are but silver and gold. The work of man's hands. Y'all see that right there? It don't matter how pretty they are. It doesn't matter how long they've had these. It's very clear. that The work of man's hands. That's why I said it, it, it's selfish. It's, it's self-worship. It's the work of man's hands. Notice this. They have mouths, but they do not speak. I was talking to you. If they are. We need to go check a few other things out because they not. They have eyes, but they do not see. They have ears, but they do not hear. Nor is there any breath at all in their mouths. Now, here's the thing when that, that, that's so important about this piece. Now, don't don't miss this piece. The reason why what you worship is so important. Catch it now. Verse 18. Those who make them will what? Be like them. Yes. Everyone who trusts in them. Meaning if that is the trajectory of you as an individual or a nation as a whole to have idolatry, then what begins to happen is, is you don't have vision. You spiritually are blind. You don't hear from God. You you don't have life in you. That's what he's saying. The vitality of an individual and of a nation lies and where they are tapping in their worship and their source. That's that's why he's saying, listen, my, my people, whenever I, when God established a nation, he says number two on the list. Number two is worship. Now, can I just because I want to be encouraging, I want to make sure I'm providing some hope and I'm laying this thing out. Anybody ever have uh, idolatry going on in their life? I, anybody ever put things, Oh, yeah, I see that hand over there. I'm not saying you made a little statue and had it and you bound down to it. Some of you that might be you. OK. But I know for me, it was that metal and plastic and leather, that Corvette that was sitting in the showroom that I had to have. And it it motivated everything in my life in terms of school and identity and personality and all those things. And I had set that thing in a place where only God deserved to be. But can I tell you, can I encourage you? You know what Jesus can do? Jesus can transform that. How many of y'all know he can transform that? Yeah, Jesus can transform that. And can I tell you the reason why I say that is because Jesus, even in his coming, he is not asking man to make an image of him. He is not asking man to do anything in terms of trying to identify. He is the one that has already done the heavy lifting and the work. Y'all don't believe me just yet. Let's look at John chapter one, verse 18. John, John, John one, 18. Let's just look at Let's just turn over here in this New Testament real quick to John one, 18. And notice what it says. Y'all ready for it? No one has seen God at any time. The only begotten God, meaning one of a kind God, the God man who is in the bosom of the father. What has he done? He has explained him. Meaning Jesus, he doesn't need us to to do it. He's the one that has come and he has revealed God to us. So we we don't need to go around making an idol or doing anything of of that nature because he God has already been revealed. He's already shown himself to us. And so when we think about the dynamics of our relationship with the Lord, we must recognize that worship is second on the list. Notice I ain't said nothing about human human beings just yet. Y'all, y'all catch that? Because the main piece of who you are, the most important thing about you and me and any nation is the God that they serve. That's the most important piece. We have to be willing to understand that the Lord is calling us not only to have an exclusive relationship with him, but to have worship that honors and reflects him. Can I just tell you, I'm going to submit to you that the problems that we see in our nation and around the world, the problems themselves are just symptoms of a greater issue. And that issue is worship. It's worship. Let's keep rolling. What number three, what out of all the things what God, what he would say? Number three, he says in verse seven, you shall not take the name of the Lord, your God in vain for the Lord, will not leave him unpunished who takes his name in vain. Don't take the name of the Lord in vain. The reason why he says this is because names represent, names represent character and reputation. Like in Bible times, whenever you, you pick up your Bible, let's just take Moses, for example. That's the human instrument that we're reading right here today. Moses, anybody in here know his name means? Means to draw out, Right. Pharaoh, y'all remember Pharaoh's daughter was out there taking a bath and uh, Moses came rolling through on the ark one day down the river because the Hebrew boys were supposed to be killed. And his parents said, we're not killing our baby. We're not doing that. And she heard the baby, found the baby and drew him out of the Nile. And you know what she called him? Moses drew him out. Right. But now here's the crazy thing that his name is a picture of his character and his reputation. So what did God do? God used Moses to do what to his people? Draw them out. So whenever, whenever we see a name, when God is talking about a name, he's not just saying, don't say, whenever you smash your thumb, the, don't be talking crazy. Y'all do what I'm talking about? Many times that's what we're thinking, and we shouldn't do that, by the way. Just put that out there. But ultimately what he's saying is, is that there is a way in which when we say we belong to him, that are our, our, the character and the reputation of God is on the line. Can I ask you a question? What is it called whenever you use somebody else's name on a check or on, a, on an account that's not yours without their permission? What is that called? Fraud. Yes. Fraudulent. So when it comes to the way in which we, Think about God whenever we put his name on our money or we say that we serve him in name that might be on buildings and all those other things on our life, but we don't live up to it. Can I just tell you what just happened? A fraudulent transaction just happened. We are using his name in a way that does not match up with who he is. Doesn't match up with his character, doesn't match up with what he desires. And so any nation now understand when you come in, you say the God of the Bible, the Lord, he is my God. When you say that there, there is there is already built into that some responsibility. And he's saying, do not take my name. Don't take my name in vain. Yeah, don't carelessly and frivolously just throw my name out. Don't attach my name to a cuss word. Don't 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 do those things. But ultimately, what he also is saying is, is don't live in such a way. People, individuals and nations that don't match up to who I am. That's what he's saying. What about that name? Let me just say I got to say it because. The Lord, his name is very important. And ultimately, when I'm talking about worship, when I'm talking about these things. Just the passage comes to my mind. Let's just look at it real quick. Philippians chapter two, verse 9, and 11. It'll come on the screen. Y'all ready for it? And we think about the name and we think about identifying with the Lord. Something very important happens here in Philippians 2, 9, 11. Y'all ready for this? When it says for this reason, also, it's talking about the fact that Jesus was willing to take on flesh and to dwell among us. He was willing to live out the human experience just like we are living it out. But he did it to perfection and he was willing to lay his life down so that we might be able to have life. And I want you to notice what it says. And for this reason, also, God, he, he highly exalted him and bestowed on him the what? Name, which is above every name so that the name of Jesus, every knee will bow of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth and that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Like that's going to happen. Like this is not just, he not just saying this, this is good just adding to the Bible. Like this is actually going to happen. Can I just ask a quick question? Anybody in here ever took the name of the Lord in, in vain? You BC, we all got be BC. We playing around, playing church. Anybody ever Been in that position. Yeah. Can I just tell you, you know what Jesus will do? Y'all want to help me with this one? Jesus, what will he do with that? He'll transform that. He sure will. He'll transform that. He'll transform your life where you go from being one who is taking his name in vain and careless and one who is spitting on his name, don't have anything good to say about Jesus, and he will bring you in and he will change you and transform you and he will use you for his glory. I, I, I just see it many, many times, my own life and a whole bunch of other lives. Y'all believe that? Might have cried in here. So the last movement in terms of our relationship with the Lord, and then we'll talk about each other. How about that? Get ready for that. Verse 80 says this. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath. It's the Sabbath of the Lord, your God. In it you shall do, in it you shall not do any work. You or your sons, your daughters, your male and female servants, or your cow, sojourner who stays with you. Reason why? For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth. How many days did he do it in? Six. That's what the Bible said. I didn't say it. He said it. That's what he said. The sea and all that is in them. And he rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy you know all i can say is tgif y'all know what i'm saying it's amazing to me how people love fridays lord thank god it's friday because that saturday supposed to be the rest day right and i just believe that what god is saying here is that in the creative order we see this this desire this movement to man we work all week long and we're like "Ooh, i'm tired i'm ready to rest tgif thank god it's friday because i get off tomorrow Right. That, that, that inside woven in us already woven in the way in which we live. We see it already. You see, I believe he, he is teaching us something very important about creation that we are to work hard. Somebody heard what I said? We are to work hard. He says six days, six days we work and we rest on the seventh. You, you, we work hard, but then we also make sure that we intentionally have a time where we are resting and we are enjoying. Here it now, here now. We are enjoying the benefits of the works of our hands. Like God is not opposed to work, and He's not opposed to you being successful. He's not opposed to you be like, whoa, this was a good week, Lord Breaking. Oh, yes. Right? But in the midst of that, we should also make sure that we haven't. A time of reflecting on the Lord's goodness. Let, let me just tell you just personally, I, I look at most of my uh, brothers and sisters here in America and we are on the rat race. We're running all the time. just are like a hamster on the wheel. We we running and you, we can't tell you where we're going. We're just running all the time, all the time. Got something going on. And I'm just saying, we think we're smarter than the Lord, but we are not. He has let us know. He has let us know. That, that in our lives, there should be an intentional place in time of rest and an intentional place and in time of reflection and also enjoyment. Because if you didn't know all the good stuff you got, it didn't come from you anyways It came from him. That's what the Bible says. So why in the world, Jamar, are we not, you know, Sabbath, you know, why? it's a Sunday last time I checked the first day of the week and we up in here worship. Why are we doing that? Well, I'm so glad you asked. Let me just throw something at you real quick. Colossians chapter two, verses 16 and 17. Why don't we try to hold on to this law? Why didn't an early church? Why didn't they try to hold on to this? Because all these other things we still say, yeah, 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 do this. But in the church, we're not doing those things. Colossians chapter two, verse 16 and 17. What does it say? Therefore, no one is to act as your judge in regard to food or drink or in respect to a festival or a new moon or a what? Sabbath day. Things which are a mere shadow of what is to come. But the substance belongs to who? Christ. Meaning Jesus, he he took care of everything. The Sabbath rest. He met met all those things. And so, yep, I believe you should have at least one time a week where you have reflection and worship and, and prayer and rest. But then doesn't necessarily have to be on Saturday because we see right here in this text, it tells us very clearly. No, we're not to be in judgment of each other that in Christ he has, He has brought those things. The substance is Christ. We look to him. Let me just tell you the first four things that we see in this list of 10 are highlighting our relationship with the Lord. And I believe we got to get that right first to be able to operate in these next six. So I hope you came ready. We're going to go ahead and hit it. Right. In verse 12 through 17, we get the next round. Our responsibility in relation to mankind. Verse 12 says this, Honor your father and your mother that your days may be prolonged in the land which the Lord your God gives you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant or his female servant or his ox or his donkey or anything that belongs to your neighbor. And so coming out hot and heavy out of the vertical relationship individually and collectively as a nation. Now we begin to see how in the world are we to deal with each other? And the first thing might surprise you. Anybody get surprised that verse 12 just, oh, that just surprised anybody. Every time I read this, can I just be honest with y'all? I'm shocked that verse 12 comes before verse 13. Anybody shocked about that? That whenever you look at the top five out of 10, murder is six. And what is number five? Honor your mother and father. Oh, Lord, here we go. I know some of y'all are like, well, I wish my kids wasn't in that back area back there. I wish they were not in the cheering's area right now. <laughs> Does it surprise anybody? Yeah. Every time I read this, I'm like, Lord, you put, you got, you know, Moses. He must have when he broke that. You know, he dropped them at one time, broke, got mad and broke them. The order shifted. No, this is the right order. This is the right order. Let's talk about why. Why. Why is this the right order? Well, can I just tell you because. Coming out of our vertical relationship with the Lord, the the primary, most important relationship one can ever have is with the Lord. Second is family, family dynamics. You see, God has orchestrated that the nuclear family is the foundation in society. The nuclear family. And let let me be real clear what I mean when I say that. I'm talking daddy, mama and babies. That's what I'm talking about. Now, I understand that there are different dynamics, different struggles and and sins and hardships happen inside of families that might make them look differently. And I'm, I'm not talking bad about you if that's your dynamics. But what I'm saying is that God, when he created the family, he created the way in which he intended for it to be. Now, when we think about the dynamics, I believe that's the reason why we see number five come. And in number five, we're not we've already dealt with relationship, worship and respect and time. But now we have to talk about authority because within the authority of the family, that, that is where we learn how to operate as human beings. It's in the it's in the confines of the family. And what happens is individuals who are in families, when you have a messed up family, many times that leads to you contributing to this society in a messed up way. I'm just trying to I'm not talking bad about it because we got hope that's coming but what i want you to see though is that that is the structure that god has established a chain of command let me say it another way a system in which the family is to operate and when you think about the dynamics of that who are we to try to change the system who are we to try to break down what god has 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 put together so since i'm talking about family real quick let, let me just hit on something that i believe apart from uh being lost. Folks not knowing the Lord Jesus Christ. What I'm going to submit to you is the number one problem in America. I got a brother looking at me right now because he already know what I'm getting ready to say. The number one problem in America. Fatherlessness. Men, I just want you to hear me for a second. Brother named Robert Lewis has a great saying that that I, I love and it's something I think about every week. And he says this manhood is in a state of confusion and confused men cause major problems. Manhood is in a state of confusion, and confused men cause major problems. And so when you, I could have just come at you with all these statistics and all this stuff, but I'm going to say that today. I just want you to think about your own personal experience just today. When you think about your upbringing, the dynamics of your family, was your dad involved in your life or was he not? You think about your friend groups, you think about your friends, how how many of the friends you, you grew up with didn't have pops in the house with them. How many of the the, the young ladies that you dated didn't have daddy. And so that's why you could slip over and tiptoe in the house whenever, whenever, you know, when you shouldn't have been up in there. So think about the dynamics of what's happening here. And so as we think about this, I'm just, I'm just saying to you that men, I believe that God made you number one for him. And number two, he gave you this intrinsic ability of leadership to be able to lead families, your family. That's what he did. And I know many of you did not have a blueprint for that. But just because you don't got the blueprint don't mean that God cannot come in and give you what you need to be able to honor him. And when that, It's in his word. He lays it out very clearly. But let, let me just real quickly say this, because the idea of honoring mother and father, this is the dynamics that kids need to hear. Now listen, when you up underneath mom and daddy roof, guess what you got to abide by? Mom and daddy rules. We don't like this so much. The older we get start smelling ourselves, feeling good. We don't want to do that. And then as we grow older, the relationship, the dynamics, you start paying your own bills and being more responsible, doing those kind of things. Then you just can kind of you can hear. I hear what you're saying, mom, but I'm going to still do what I want to do. That makes sense. But as we look at this, I just want to lay out some key things just for the family, just for the family from from the word. But but I think practically because somebody out there saying make it practical for me, preacher. Okay, I got you covered the structure. Number one, the command chain is is put together for us to understand how we respect and value authority. You see, I think one of the main problems that we got going on right now, while everybody walking around here and looking crazy at each other and fighting and tearing up stuff is because they never were in a system or in a structure, a family structure to be able to understand what it's like to not get your way all the time. Uh Oh, I'm going to just keep on going. There's some key things that you're learning a family structure. And men, let me just talk to you for a minute. Can I just talk to the brothers for a minute? Sisters, y'all can still listen. But men, one of the things that happens is whenever your children see you loving their mama, it's just something that happens in their soul. It's so deep that happens. The dynamics of what happens in that thing. This is one of the first things that they should see. They also, they get a chance to see your character. They get a chance to see what happens when you go through the drive through line and they mess your order for the second time, how you talk to the people. That makes sense? Whether you throw that whopper back in the window and say, I'm done up here, giving my money back. They get a chance to see it. They get a chance to see how, how things operate, how whenever things don't go well or go right, or when you don't know, or when you don't understand, they, they learn how to lose. Let me just tell you, I'm teaching my babies knockout right now, and they can't stand me right now in knockout. They can't stand me. Daddy, you cheat every time. I'm not cheating because I knock your ball out. That's what the game is, knockout, knockout. But they learn that they learn, they get a chance to see your heart. And there's so many kids that, that listen, we look at we look at our neighborhoods and we look at our schools and we look at the prison system. But can I tell you the first place that that where the failure was, was in the family. And I'm just going to go out. Hey, if we want to see these other these other things fixed legally and all those other things, we got to focus in on the family. And any policy, any politician, they want to make up policies that break down the family. We can't fool with you. We just can't do it. I'm just saying we cannot. That they, they will make policies that keep families from forming or that make policies that keep families in a very difficult position. We cannot deal with you because we see that it is a fabric of society. In a family, you you. You learn so much. I just want to share another. We we study this in our men's fraternity, and and just hear me. This is some great things for your babies to be able to hear from you. I think it's so profound. They need to hear three things: I love you, I'm proud of you, and you're good at. Your babies need to hear that, even if they grown old. Babies, they need to hear I love you, I'm proud of you, and you're good at, and they need to hear it every day. Every day. Let me give you one more practical thing. I'm specifically talking to the men in the room, but sisters, this will work for you, too. Can you just get some some quality time with your babies? I know for us as men, we tend to run 100 miles an hour and we're working and I'm learning something. Time. Goes by so fast. And uh, we can uh, outwork our relationships with our children and miss a season. So quality time, man, quality time. Give affirmation and encouragement to your babies. I don't know about you. I'm a natural. Hey, you messed up. Hey, you better pick that up. You better. That ain't right. But I got to learn. We got to learn to be affirming and encouraging. And then lastly, can I just tell you, we need to make sure we give life instruction, life instruction to, to help our children grow. And so the family, when God was putting together his top 10 halfway through, he dealt with the family. Number five, he dealt with the family. After the things toward himself, he dealt with the family. And I'm telling you, any, any group, any institution, any people that want to break down his family is not worthy of your support. Period. They're not worthy. Number six. Number six comes to us in verse 13, where our Lord says in verse 13, you shall not murder. You shall not murder. Now, I know some of you grew up on that good old King James. Anybody in here grew up on that good King Jimmy? Yep. Uh-huh. <laughs> yep. And then you look at the King James, you know what the King James says? Thou shalt not kill is what the King James says. It's kill. Now, here's the deal. Let me just go on ahead and deal with this. That word there is Murder. And it's very important that we understand the dynamics here because uh, all murder is killing, but not all killing is murder. Y'all thinking, preacher, you trying to talk crazy. So let me say it again. All murder is killing. Everybody so far, we are good. We all on the bus together. All right. Just Make sure. But not all killing is murder. And we have to be very clear here. When we look at this, that he's saying to to his people, listen, don't don't take life. Don't don't take the innocent life. Don't don't take it. And what we know about the reason why I'm saying that not all killing is murder is because we know there are provisions. There are provisions in the Bible for war. There are provisions in the Bible for self-defense. There are provisions in the Bible for capital punishment. Genesis 9, 6. So we all know that. So we know that not all all killing is murder, but all murder is is killing. And so what he's saying is don't, don't murder. I don't know if y'all believe me just yet. So let's just look at a passage together when it talk about self-defense. Exodus 20. Uh, Exodus chapter. Uh, Twenty two. Verse two and three, I'm going to read I'm going to read it just hold on. It's not going to come up. This this is something I wanted to get to you it says, if 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 the thief he is caught while breaking in and is struck so that he dies, there will be no blood guiltiness on on his account. Meaning you at you the house, somebody break into your house, you defending yourself, boom, you hit him and he and he dies. There's no blood guiltiness, meaning that, that that's not seen as murder. You're not charged. That's that's right here in the text. Very, very clearly. But now notice what it says in verse three, though, it says this. But if the sun has risen on him, there will be blood guiltiness on his account. He shall surely he going to have to make restitution in his, in his own. So nothing then he shall be sold for his thefts. So meaning if, if he comes in and it's daylight and he's, you know, getting out, don't kill a man, try to give him to make restitution to pay back what he took. But you rolling at night, he roll in, you don't know, bop, you killed a man, you won't be held responsible for it. That's not seen as murder. So we see this all, all throughout scripture. But we also see that there is murder that happens and, and can I just tell you, I'm going to just keep it real. We're going to talk uh, preborn and born. The Bible is very clear that abortion is murder. The reason why is because it's the taking of an innocent life. It's the taking of an innocent life. No matter the dynamics of how that life was knit together or the reason for it being knit together, it's still the taking of, a, of an innocent life. And so when you look in, in Exodus, I'm just going gonna, gonna to read it. Exodus 21 Verse 22 through 25. I want you to see what it says here. Exodus 21, 22 through 25. It's going to come on the screen. It says, if men struggle with each other and strike a woman with what? With child. Notice it don't say a, a lump of tissue and cells and all that stuff. What does it say? Child. It, whenever you just so you just for the record, whenever you read in New Testament and Old Testament talking about pregnancy, it's always Child. Not it, not thing, child. So that she gives birth prematurely, yet there is no injury. Notice this, he shall surely be, he'll be fine. As a woman's husband may demand of him. I know some of someone says like, why he did this? Well, they're going to work together. And he shall pay as the judges decide. So did y'all catch that? So there's a conversation. What happens? The the husband gets to make the the ultimate decision as he and his wife, they work it out. They determine it. But then the judges catch it. It's not just the husband. The judges will make the determination as they decide. But catch it now. Y'all ready for this? This is very impactful and profound in verse 23. But if there is any further injury, then you shall appoint as a penalty. Catch it. Now, what does it say? Life for. Life for life. So that though I'm just telling you the way God is seeing this. I, I'm not trying to cuz I'm fit, the hope is coming. So I just want you all to see how God I just need to keep it real with you. Th- this is how God is seeing this life for life. eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot, burn for burn, wound for wound, bruise for bruise. So that that's what he's seeing. That, that that's the the dynamics of how it's being laid out for us. And God is very clear about how he feels about this. He he he's very serious about murder pre birth There's no way you're going to be able to explain it. Now, understand, I need to talk to somebody because I don't know who all watching me, who all has their experiences. But let me just tell you, maybe you've made a decision and, and you had an abortion. I just want you to hear me for a second. That the God that I'm talking about loves you more than you will ever know. And I can give you example after example, but I'm just going to give you one. There's a individual uh, who uh, he persecuted church. He saw Christians murdered and the Lord saved him and changed his life. And he used him in great ways. The apostle Paul before he was Paul, he was Saul. He made some very bad decisions. And that's the type of grace, the type of God we have got that we are dealing with here. That not only does he see you, not only does he understand what you've done, but what he's saying to you is that you can come to him, that you can surrender your life to him, that he desires to be in a relationship with you and he will use your life for his glory. You don't have to be ashamed. You don't have to walk in the shadows. That God will use your life. Even when you do things that you are ashamed of. And things that have not only hurt you, but have hurt other people. You see, it's very clear. He says, don't don't murder. And as we look at this, we understand that God, he cares about it outside, outside. We're going to go through in, in very vivid detail in about one week how serious God is about life, preborn and born. But I just want to highlight the fact that God is very clear here. And when you look at chapter 21 and chapter 22, what you're going to see is God over and over giving the same zeal for life. He saying don't murder. Number seven on the list comes to us, by the way, of verse 14. Says, you shall not commit adultery. You see, he's dealing with purity here. We've dealt with the authority in life. And so now he's dealing with purity here. And what he's saying is, is that God has made provision for sexual activity, but he set it in a specific bounds, like meaning he when it comes to sex, it's God's idea. And let me just say to you, I know we, we probably don't talk about this enough in the church. I know somebody, some some blushing might go on up in here, but let me just tell you, who invented it in the first place? You think, God, when y'all go to the bedroom, husband and wife, you like, God, like, oh, you better close the curtain up. We don't want to see. He he made it. He made you. And so as we look at this, because he made it, he also establishes the boundaries in which it must flow, in which it, it must operate. And so we see this. What he's saying is, I just want to say it this way. We, we have to be careful because what it begins to happen in our culture and in many others around the world is sex begins to be cheapened. It, it begins to be uh, seen as a as a pleasure that whatever I desire. And it's not based off of what God has already established very clearly in his word. And so it becomes a selfish pursuit. And we have to be willing to understand that God has set the bounds. Let, let me say it in three ways to you. Let me just lay it out this way. I'm, I'm going I'm to highlight an illustration here. Back early when it was cool in the COVID days, we had a little fire pit on our back deck. I hope my insurance man ain't watching. And uh, we had the fire inside the pit. And let me tell you, it was warm. And we was having the s'mores out there, the samoras out there. We was eating the hot dogs were having a good time. And my son started playing around in the fire. And he started knocking out the, little, the embers that were on fire. And I'm like, son, you got to quit that. Give me the water hose. Give me the water hose. About to burn up stuff. Leaves dry. I mean, we ain't had no water. Like, son, you got to quit this. And when, when I think about that picture, I see my son stoking the fire in there. Look, look, look. He's just getting it in. He ain't scared of one bit. Just coming out all everywhere. That, that I think about the idea of, of, of the way God has intended sex to be in, in a safe, Relationship, steady by mature, committed. Let me say it another way: married adults. And let me just tell you, you can get all the s'mores and all the goodness and all the excitement and all the warmth in that in those confines. But when you step out of that, you start stoking that fire around, and the little embers start going all over the place. And that's when it becomes destructive and dangerous. And so God on his list, whenever he comes to this idea of purity, number seven, he's telling us how we must understand the sexual part of who we are and how we operate. And any person, politician or people that want to to advance this, this agenda of highly sexualized culture and viewing women a certain way and kids a certain way, we must never follow. You know, I think about this. And I just got to be encouraged For I'm going to come with another quick one and then I got to get to the end. Because I'm preaching and I don't know who all I'm dealing with. Maybe for you, 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 whenever you read that word uh, adulterer, you think about a decision you made. And I just want you to hear me when I say this. If you hadn't got you any John chapter eight in a while, there's an adulterous woman that Jesus deals with. And I, I need you to go. I need you to turn there. And I want you to watch our Lord work. Because I believe the same thing that he said to her is the same thing that he's saying to you. He said, I'm not condemning you. Go and sin no more. I'm not holding it against you. And I want you to go live like it. I'm not I'm not I'm not holding. It. I want you to go. I want you to live like you're free. Live like you're forgiven. Live, live like my daughter th- that live like my son be free. That, that's what he's saying. You know, God had a lot to say about this. But let me just say just for a quick second, I, I, I'm going to have to hit this because, you know, I believe your sexual identity and health, it starts a lot of times before you get married. So let me just, because the word is 1 Thessalonians four three. Let me just drop this on somebody. They need to hear this. 1 Thessalonians 4.3 says this, "For this is the will of God, your sanctification. That is that you abstain from sexual immorality. That's God's will for your life. You want to know what His will for your life is for you to abstain from sexual immorality? That's what He's saying to you. He loves you too much to have you out here living this lifestyle that does not befit His daughter or His son. That's what He's saying to you. He knows what's best for you. Number eight. Number eight, we get a chance to see it in verse 15. It says this You shall not steal. You shall not steal. This has to do with property uh, taken without permission. And many times we think about money and we think about things, and we, but, but also you can take intellectual property. You, you can also take people. He said, don't steal. You know, when I think about this idea of people, I think human trafficking, I think slavery. And can I just tell you, have we been willing as a as a world and as a people to be able to take God and his word? We wouldn't have to deal with not, not less than half the stuff we're dealing with right now. You know, people try to jam me up all the time as a black man, as a Christian, as a believer of the Bible. And they look at me and they say, you know, no, that Bible, that Bible is, is slavery, our oppressors. That's what they used on us. And I, and I always think to myself, man, have y'all ever, have you ever read Bible? Have you ever read it? Because number one, can I just tell you what it says about our identity? And let's just go and let's get this, my Acts 17. Acts 17, verses 24 through 26. Let's just get this together when it talks about how God has made us. And then I'm going to just show you a verse that y'all probably ain't never even paid attention to. Acts 17, 24 through 26 says this. The God who made the world and all things in it, since he is Lord of heaven and earth, does not dwell in temples made with human hands. Nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to what? All people, life and breath and all things. Y'all ready for verse 26? My favorite coming out the gate swinging. And he made from how many men? One. One man. How many nations? All of them. Every nation of mankind to live on the face of the earth, having determined their appointed times and the boundaries of their habitation. From one individual, God made us all. And can I tell you, he is also determining, we don't got to like how we got over here, but understand God, what, he, he can still use it. He can take the evil of man and still use it for his glory. That, that's what he does. And if we would just catch that and understand that and recognize that God is very clear here. I didn't make this up. This has been in the Bible thousands of years. It's right here. But let me just throw something else on your head. Exodus chapter 21, verse 16. Y'all ready for it? When we talk about slavery, everybody keep talking about God's view of slavery and all those other things. I know we're hitting hard. I hope I can encourage. We can, we can wrap this thing up in an encouraging way. But I just want you to see what is verse 16. Exodus 21, 16. Somebody need to get that quiet time right here. Y'all ready for it? Exodus 21, 16 says this. He who what? Kidnaps a man. Whether he what? Sells him or is found in his possession. What, what shall happen to him? He shall be put to death. Let me just tell you how we've been keeping the Bible, Have folks been 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 reading and understanding and really keeping the Bible. So all this human trafficking, all this slave trade, and all this stuff—what would have happened? They would have got knocked out because they wanted to sell the people. You see what I'm saying? It's right here. It's right here. So it's not that like God ain't kept it real with us. It's not that He hadn't told us. It's that we do not follow. As a whole humanity, we do not follow. That's why whenever I read it earlier, bless his nation, whose God is the Lord, because he keep it real with you. He show you the truth, show you the way. And the problem is is, is that we are not following the word that God has spoken to us. He has given to us. Don't steal. Let let me, let me, I need to rally around and I'm going to close out. Because I can preach for another hour. Y'all like, no, we can't do that. Maybe I'm talking to somebody and you you, you are a thief. You've been stealing. You've been doing those things. Let me just first and foremost tell you, that don't have to be your life. There's a little brother in the Bible named Zacchaeus. Anybody know about Brother Zacchaeus? He was a wee little man. Yeah. Yeah. And the Bible says about Zacchaeus, a wee little man. That he was stealing stuff from folks. He was, he was, he was taking money that, that he didn't deserve to be taking. And this was crazy. Jesus was rolling through the city. And Zacchaeus was so short, he had to climb up in a tree to sleep. Sometimes I can identify. <laughs> and Jesus looked at him and said, hey, I'm coming to your house, Zacchaeus. Can y'all imagine that? Can, just real quick, come in here real quick. Jesus already knew who he was. Did, did you know that? He knew everything about Zacchaeus. And he said, I'm coming to your house, that kid." And when this crazy thing had revival broke out in Zacchaeus, he said, Lord, I, I've, been, I've been sinning, Lord. I've been, I've been taking folks, but I'm going to give it back according to the law. I'm going to give it all. I'm giving it back. Changes his life forever. That's the type of Lord we deal with. That's what I'm saying to you, that when we think about the word, we think about the Lord, we have to see what he does. Let, let, me, let, me, let me hit these last two, because I'm t- I, serious, I could be a whole nother out." The ninth we see, it says this, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. That means don't lie. That has to do with the tongue. And let me just say to you that we, we're probably more like the devil when we lie than just about at any other time because he is the father of lies. And can I just say, you're not, a, you're not a father unless you got children. And it says he's the father of lies. So, uh, so when we lie, that, that, that's when we, it's destructive. It brings about destruction. So let me just give us the antidote uh, quickly here. Uh, in Ephesians 4, verse 15, the antidote to this type of lifestyle is this. It says this, but speak, speak the truth in love. Speak the truth in love. We are to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, even Christ. We are to speak the truth in love. The last thing that the Lord says in his top ten Is he says, don't covet, verse 17, you shall not covet your neighbor's house, you shall not covet your neighbor's wife, his male servants, his his female servants, or his ox or his donkey, or anything that belongs to your neighbor. This last movement has to do with contentment. And can I just tell you, this is an inside job. It's an inside job. But you know what? Jesus can do what with that? He can transform that. He can transform that. He can transform that dissatisfaction. He can transform that yearning that you have to have more because you're not settled. You're not stable. He can transform that. And the reason why is because of his grace, of his greatness, and his goodness. You know, I talk to people all the time that feel guilty about how they live. Can I tell you, Jesus can transform that. He can transform it individually. He can transform it collectively. People that struggle with control, he can transform that because he's sovereign. He can, he can transform that guilt because of his grace. And that fear that you feel, that does not trust the Lord, he can transform that because he's good. if You'll be willing to surrender your life to him. You see, we've looked at these, these 10 things, top 10. I believe when God was establishing his people and his nation, this is what he said. He said, here's my, my minimum 10. My minimum 10. The thing about it is, there's not any one of us in this room will ever be able to keep those to perfection. And so you know what he did? He came and he kept them to perfection. And what he is saying to you and me and to, I believe our nation and to every nation, will you please come to me? I have already taken care of it. I have already lived a life. Will you please come to me? Because I can transform that. I've already shown it in my life that I can do it personally and I'm God enough to be able to bring you in and be able to transform you. Can I tell you the number one issue? It's a worship issue. It's a relationship issue, whether it's individually or collectively as a nation. And so my question as I close is, are you willing to surrender and come in underneath God? To surrender your life to him? Because he can transform it? Will you pray with me? Lord, we love you. And as we go into this time of reflection and prayer, thinking about the people that are watching, the people that are here. And Lord, if there's anyone they've never given their life to you, Lord, I'm trusting that, God, you are working. And that, Lord, they will call out to you and I'll say, Lord, Jesus, save me, change me, use me. That, God, they will call out and say, Lord, Jesus, I give you my life. That they wouldn't let any sin hold them back, any struggle hold them back, Lord, because we've already, we looked at your word. And Lord, you can transform that. And Lord, I just pray that for those who are surrendering their life, that Lord, they will make a commitment to you and to your word. Lord, help us to make a commitment to you and to your word. That God, you would use us for your glory. And Lord, through our lives, we would look to you because Lord, you have talked to us about so many things. So many things you have already laid out before us. But Lord, we we don't hold on to those things. And we wonder why it's chaos in our lives individually and, and collectively in our nation. Lord, help us to be the people you've called us to be, a, a set apart, a priesthood that, Lord, we live differently than those who are around us. And that, God, there'll be story after story, just like when you were here, you changed many lives. That Lord, maybe, maybe instead of being Kiss, there would be somebody that we work with that, Lord, you change and you transform them. A woman caught in adultery, instead of us reading about her in, 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 in John 8, Lord, there'll be somebody in our family that, Lord, you work with and you minister and you do a great thing through. Then Lord, when we think about idolatry and how people have their identities and so many things that will never satisfy the Lord, there'll be somebody on our on our campus that, Lord, you would work in in a mighty way. And Lord, they would come to know you and be transformed forever. Lord, I'm just committed that, Lord, you want to see the church house be serious about our relationship with you. Lord, we're looking at the White House and we're looking at everybody else and we're looking at all these other elected officials and positions and I believe we should, but Lord, understand that transformation and power, that you want to work in and through your people. So God, I pray you'd help us to focus in. I hope God spoke to you during the message today. We want to know about it. You can fill out a connection card at wordbaptist.com slash connection card. We want to help you through any spiritual questions you may have while you're on this journey. You see, we believe that the first step is for a person to give their life to Jesus Christ. The Bible is very clear that the greatest need that humanity has is to be saved and that the only way to be saved is through Jesus Christ. If you will agree with God that you need Him for the forgiveness of your sins and you will turn to Him in repentance and believe in Him, uh, you will be saved. The Bible says that you do this by one believing that Jesus Christ died and was raised from the dead and that you believe that his payment is sufficient for you, and that you will call out to him as Lord and Savior, and he will save you. If you're listening to this service and do not have a church home, we would love for you to come and be our guest during the time of worship. We have multiple services. We would love to meet you personally and have you here for worship. You can check us out at wordbaptist.com for service times. If you've missed any sermons, they're all archived there online so you can go back and watch them. You can connect with us on social media at wordbaptist. If you would like to invest in the ministry and continuing the spread of the gospel, you can give online at wordbaptist.com/give. I'm so grateful that you've joined us today, and I hope you've learned something that you can apply to your life. And we hope to see you again next time right here at Word Baptist Church.